Hi, welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris Hofalt, the editor of The Toolkit, and my guest today is director Ben Stiller talking about the Showtime series Escape from Denimora. Escape at, at, at yes, at. which was a big debate we had. <laughs> Why at? Oh, because I guess yeah. it's the town, not the prison itself, because it's not the Clinton Correction Facility. Yeah, we were thinking about it in terms of, for a while we were playing around with what the title should be, and considering just calling it Danamora. Um, and then at one point it was originally it was called Escape, Escape at Clinton Correctional, because that's the name of the prison. Um, and I remember pitching it to one actor who said, "Oh, that's a horrible title." <laughs> <laughs> um, and then then we thought Danamore was interesting because it's really the town and the characters. All the characters in the story, I, I think, um, are trying to escape. On some level, in, in, yeah. in that sense, also the Tilly character, which is such a big part of it, right? You, yeah. The choice to even—I mean, obviously she's a big part of the escape, but the choice to make her—you know—part of this is this, this, this landscape, you know. And, and what's amazing is that yard—you're sitting there, and you can't imagine being in prison and having the Adirondacks there. But then what you did so beautifully, I thought, also, and just playing off this, is with the Tilly character. That forest is like you feel like overburdened by, you know, and it's like right. a, the way they relate to this landscape is completely different types of escape of where, where they are in their mindset. Yeah, definitely. I think that that was a big part of the story. I mean, Tilly and her story were the, the most um, interesting part of it when I first read it was, and when I, and I, when I read about the story too, just how she had gotten involved with these two inmates and that relationship and her her life and she was really always sort of the linchpin of the story um, you know also in trying to figure out how to do a prison escape story in a way that was you know hadn't been hadn't been done before because there's so many great prison escape movies and I, you know that that for me was one of the ways into it was her story my understanding is you originally um, rejected doing this idea at, at a certain stage in the script process, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say I wrestled, I wrestled with it, <laughs> and um, it was really fascinating to me uh, when I when I first got. Uh, there were two scripts that were written by Brett Johnson and Michael Tolkien. They were great scripts, mm. um, but they were pretty much fictionalized, and that was just because they didn't have access to the real information. And it was very early on in the whole process in terms of, it was just after, they started working on it, I think, before they were even caught. Which is only 2015, you're shooting yeah. by 2017. So. Yeah, so uh, in trying to figure out how I could do this uh, and try to do something uh, that I felt connected to as a director, because I'm a fan of the, of the genre, I'm not a, a crazy pr prison escape uh, fan. I, I don't think I've seen every movie in, in the genre, but there's so many great films and that world to me was very, very interesting, but the reality of it was really what was the most interesting. And I thought if I could, for me, find a way in through like the actual details of how something like this would happen in real life, that was what was really interesting to me. So in those scripts, they, had, they didn't really have access to that information. So after a lot of hemming and hawing and, and discussions with Michael and Brett, um, I remember at one point Mike, Mike Token was like, come on, it's a mini-series, man. It's like, you'll be in and out in like 10 weeks. <laughs> Cut to a year. Like two years later. Yeah. But, um, but I, I ultimately said, you know, no, because I didn't have enough of a, a, a grasp on it 
from knowing what really happened. And then, and then um, the Inspector General report came out a few months later, and that had basically was you know this amazing source material, and that was sort of our way into it. And then I called them up and said, if they still wanted a director, and why don't we approach it this way? Because you know authenticity is one thing. I mean, it, it, the reasons for authenticity can be different. It can be many. But I, in watching this film, one senses that you visually saw it in a certain style, in a certain authenticity, and it's almost in conversation with a, a group of films that were shot that way. I, I imagine, I mean, I'm sure you, these are people's lives and you want to get the details right, but I, ma I imagine part of this is even just what you were drawn to as a director and seeing it, right? And without those details, it's, it's not that thing in your head? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, that's the... I guess the process that you go through, you know, I think for me, as I get older in life, you try to think about what's going to really um, engage you when you work on a project because it's going to take a, up a lot of your time and what, what's going to keep you motivated and, and passionate throughout it. And I don't know if you can always name what that is. It's just something about it. Mm -hmm. And there was something about um, this place when I first went up to the place that was so unique in terms of the... Uh, geographical landscape and how this prison was sort of set in the side of the mountain and had been there for over a hundred years and, and the history of it and the, this just sheer wall that, that's up and like right against the town and the town is really only a few houses, not even really a main street in the town. So this prison dominates this little town in the middle of the Adirondacks and just mountains and woods and nothing really around for miles and miles. Um, so just visually, that, that was very striking. And then as we, we started to get into it more, the, the, the style of it kind of, I think, came out of, first of all, yeah, the genre of, of the prison movie. To me, in the 70s, there were a lot of great films that were uh, made in that genre, and they all had a, a certain um, sort of stark starkness to them. and. Uh, you know, kind of a beauty in the starkness. And when uh, you're up there and, and you go up there in the winter uh, to that part of New York State, it's very bleak. And so that all fed into telling the story because I felt that the environment, as you were saying earlier, is really a big part of the motivations of these characters and trying to establish a sense of place. So I, I, it, I can't say that I knew exactly what the tone would be from the beginning. Um, I think uh, I thought at one point I was thinking, well, I, I, I knew it would be serious. I didn't know how serious it would be. And I feel like sometimes people will tell me, oh, you know, it's, I think it's, it's actually funny moments in it. Um, and I hope there are some funny moments in it, but it really, I think, became a lot more serious and dark than I thought it was going to be. And I think that was partly just because of the place itself. And when you go into the prison and, you've, and you feel what that is, it's so... Um, it's just so heavy, and uh, and and so I think I, I wanted to just let that style sort of be dictated by the place. Um, there is a whole story, and it's been told a few times about you gaining access to the, the facility and eventually meeting with uh, Governor Cuomo. Um, before we get into that, I'm curious. Forget about permission to shoot there. When did you actually get to go in? and see, because I imagine part of this is like being able to see it and understand that you need it. Yeah. Did you have access to even, before we even talk about like permission to shoot there, could right. you, were you able to go into the, the prison and see it? Um, no, 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's why the, the permission was such a big deal because, I, I mean, I'm not making it up. I say that we were literally six weeks away from shooting and we didn't have permission. We didn't have a location for the prison. And, you know, thinking back, that's, you know, I don't even know how they let us keep going, really. <laughs> Though it was stop and go for a while. I'd say, like, literally up until the first day of shooting, this was one of those projects where I wasn't sure if it actually would happen. Um, My wife's a production of... manager. I told her that story last night reading. After uh, this, she goes, oh, I would have shut that shit down. Yeah, <laughs> she's no, like, for six sure. weeks out, she's like, I'm gone. Thank God she wasn't our production manager. Um, no, and, and we had a, a line producer in prep, Scott Hornbacker, who I, I think did a great job in that he really pushed for what we wanted, which was to be able to shoot on location and in, 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 real, in the real places. But we did not have the permission of the prison. So... Um, I had sort of resigned myself, and this was already having been like a year, over a year into the project of uh, since uh, doing research and writing and uh, and all of it. Um, I, I had resigned myself to the fact that we weren't ever going to get in there, and we would just have to rely on the photographs and the video that uh, the governor took the day that he came in. I saw that the 17 minute kind of, is this the yeah. GoPro one? Well, there's the GoPro one, but then there's also just video, which we do in the last episode when uh, Michael Imperioli comes in oh, as the governor, okay. which is basically he came in with a camera crew and went into the cells and talked to to the corrections officers and to the tour and then went down to the, um, the pipe that they cut through. And so that was our only reference material. And um, it, I mean, I thought it was never going to happen. We're never going to get in there because they had told us that. They said, you know, sorry. You know, we, they didn't have any interest in, in really um, publicizing what had happened. And it was really a last-ditch effort to go to the governor. So uh, we did not get inside the prison until about uh, five weeks before. And that did totally change my... My, my feeling about about the about the place. Really. I talked to your cinematographer uh, Jessica Gagne, um, and she was telling me that when they got in, when you guys, when when she finally got to see there, maybe it was the same time. You guys know, walked all walked in together. The texture, the light, the 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 way one sees through the bars in these kind of you know almost century old prisons, that it was instantly this cinematic thing that you had to. You know, it was this was this was our look. This was how I was going to light this, and how we had to do this in production design. I assume that it just sparks when when you walked in, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a timeless place, and I mean that to me also is part of what the style is about. Is that when you go in there, it could be 1970, it could be 1950, it could be 1940. I mean, that's the reality in a place like this. The buildings are that old. And it hasn't changed. There's no, there are no cell phones allowed. There's, you know, nobody's. There's really, you know, there are there are TVs in there, and there are these like little sort of see-through plastic televisions or these like flat screens. Um, but other than that, the the place just is timeless. And that that to me really was part of why we sort of went with that feeling that we went with. And and then of course the place is just yeah the light the the, the structures. Um, it's a very stark place. It was a lot cleaner on the inside than I thought it would be. It was a lot more open space where these buildings were. Uh, I think the cell blocks that uh, that uh, Matt and Sweat were in were those. I think they were built sometime in the 30s. Um, so there's sort of like this industrial kind of um, brutalist kind of feel to the architecture. We went up into the actual tailor shop and you know just seeing that in in action with 
inmates there working and basically the same exact setup as when the story takes place uh, with one civilian supervisor, one corrections officer, 40 or 45 um, convicted felons. It, it's, it's really kind of surreal when you're, when you're in there. So um, we were soaking it all up. We couldn't take pictures. We had a couple of tours. Um, but the idea was just to go to try to recreate this as much as possible. And then we actually went into the cell block uh, where Matt and Sweat were and saw their cells and then got into the catwalks and it just all was there. I think anybody who was doing this project would say, let's just do this. Let's try to recreate this. And so then what you do is you, the, like the tailor shop and the cells, those are built in a, you, you now have seen the real thing, so you try and build it on a, a soundstage, right? Is that We built the cell block on a soundstage uh -huh. uh, at Kaufman Stages uh, in New York, and the tailor shop, we, we found a loft space in Brooklyn that, we, that Mark Ricker, our production designer, built into to recreate what that was. And then what did you actually get there? Because I imagine it, there's, there's, it's the exterior, right? It's that north yard that is... Um, on the wall in the North Yard that you can't recreate? Is that what it is? It's, yes, you cannot recreate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you see it in the show and it's just such that a North bizarre... Yard, I've never, I, yeah. there's, there's nothing like that North Yard I've ever seen in my... You know, I, I, I'd I, never seen anything like it either. Just the scale of it, the, it's, it's been there for a hundred years. Uh, originally it was just a field. They used to play uh, softball games there. Uh, in the 70s, they had a ski jump there. There's footage you can find online of, of, of an inmates doing ski jumps from a Warren Miller movie. Um, and they're kind of cooking, right? They're, they're cooking, they're growing uh, vegetables and flowers, they're trading things, both legal and illegal. Um, I, I think it's the most violent place in the prison. That's where we're... How so? Just because you have, they have well, a chance to be yeah, they're out of the eye? It's so large. And uh, I got a couple of pictures of it out there um, from the 70s, which are amazing, which were really also visual uh, for us reference. But um, there's usually three to 500 inmates out there at a time mm -hmm. with five to seven corrections officers. So you can imagine that <laughs> it's basically- Unsupervised a, recess a, yeah, with like a, the most dangerous a, people in the world. <laughs> right, so if you're gonna get shivved or something's gonna happen, it, it's, it's probably gonna happen out there. Um, we did, literally saw on, on, I think on our first scout there, there were, the corrections officer showed us blood stains of um, a stabbing that had happened a couple of days earlier. When we were shooting there, we found a buried shiv from the art department found in one of the lots. Everybody has um, an assigned uh, sort of uh, area that they, that they sign up for and there's, uh, I think six inmates share it. And you know, it's, it's a place to hang out and, and obviously the view is incredible. And that you're saying that it's just this sort of ironic experience of having to be in prison but look out at the most beautiful view that almost feels like you could jump over the wall from there. So that was, you know, we couldn't recreate that. We tried, we thought about it because we, up until six weeks we didn't have a location so we were um, considering, we found a prison in Pittsburgh that we shot um, a lot of exteriors in also and some interiors of the tunnels. Uh, and we thought about building a part of that of the yard there and then using green screen to recreate the rest of it but um, it was way too expensive and really for the aesthetic of what we're doing we, we did we wanted to have very few visual effects even though we ended up having a lot but they were the kind of visual effects I would hope that you don't know are there um, but 
it was just basically impossible to recreate. So when the governor did say that we could shoot there, um, that was the place that we asked for. And then also just to have permission to shoot uh, going in and out of the prison. Mm -hmm. So when you see Tilly and Lyle going to work in the morning, that's them going. Because you need the permission of the, is it you need the permission of the town too? The prison's such a big part of the town. Is yes. That, is that, is that, yeah, we almost, went. They're almost the, a package deal. For sure. Yeah. I mean, actually, the first place we went to was the mayor uh, of Danamora, who, who was kind enough to say yes to us, and then then we went to the New York State Department of Corrections, and uh, and when that sort of stalled, then I I, I reached out. <laughs> I just did a Hail Mary to Governor Cuomo and he came to our rescue. Was Imperioli already cast in that role when you went and met Cuomo? Because um, that would be who was playing me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was right around that time. And, and I, I, I think Michael told me that the governor reached out to him and he met with him and they hung out a little bit. It's such an interesting casting decision. You know, it, it, when he first popped off the plane, because I didn't know, I, didn't, I hadn't read it, and right. when he popped off the plane, or it popped off the helicopter, I'm like, it took me, I'm like, oh, wow, that's Como. And then he's like, yeah. and he's got it. And it's just, but right. it's just, you know, he's Michael, you know, he's like, he's sure. like, and so it's, yeah. it's this interesting, uh, it takes a beat and then you're like, oh, okay, he's yes. doing it, but yeah. it's, it's, uh, well, I'm all for casting actors who are right for a role. If you, and even if they have, people have a preconceived idea of, who, you know, how they see them. Yeah. Maybe that's my own personal bias, but, um, he's such a great actor and he yeah. really, I, I think, you know, there were so many things that were that he got uh, in terms of Cuomo's vibe, and he, and he had you know it's a, it's a a quick cameo, but I think he had, there's a lot of humor in it too. So let's go back to um, I think I think I read somewhere you have ten basically ten days kind of permission in the in the uh, for these various around yeah. the town the the the, the yard and stuff. Right. Is that right? So I imagine that one thing I've noticed was. Um, clearly season and time of day mean a lot to you in terms of this and um, in, in the yard stuff it was just shot in this like perfect light you know, it, <laughs> we, it, we got lucky we only had two days in the yard but I have to imagine talk to me a little bit about you know not only a time constraint but also working in that environment and I, ima I, I imagine you you're coming in you can't go out Right. You know, you kind of have to plan for a day. You have to kind of come in. Normally, it's like you know, there's a shoot right over here right now. There's that the trucks. We got all the stuff, and it's kind of me. You have to kind of have like a battle plan to go in, yeah. in almost like triage, right? Like doing different things to like make sure you get it all right. Yes, yes. If your wife is a production manager, she knows. <laughs> um, it was really challenging, and that was the production team and Bill Carraro and Lisa Rowe, our first AD. I mean, they had to. There was so they'd never done this before in the prison. And so we basically had one day to shoot uh, the on the yard for episode four, which was the sort of the springtime scene, and then one day to shoot for episode one, which was the winter scene. But we shot the whole thing sort of backwards. We started in the summer, and we ended in the winter. So the first day that we shot there, that summer was important to you, right? Because part of this deadline, right, is, is that you you wanted the that summer part to be authentic. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was really no choice because they escaped in June, early June, and they were out on the run for three weeks. So there had to be leaves on the trees, <laughs> um, and it was tough because our the way this whole thing came together was we finally got it together uh, that we were able to start at the very very sort of end of summer. And we knew that we needed a certain amount of exteriors for the whole show for the last few episodes that were summer and spring. So we, we basically started shooting as late as you could possibly shoot for the four or five weeks we needed of exteriors. And so uh, 
the, one of the first place, places that we shot was the prison, and we shot in the, um, in the yard for that one day. So to be able to shoot in the yard, we needed to be able to get in and out in one day. And that, was, that meant that the prison had to approve all the equipment, um, had to check it all when we went in, had to check it all when we went out. Uh, and then we had to figure out how to get our scene shot in that one it day. It probably affected your coverage, right? You probably are making choices and sacrifices to a certain degree. Yeah, well, you not know. Not that it not that it Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it definitely did because we only had that time. So it was stylistically trying to figure out how do we want to do this mm -hmm. and um, how many cameras can we bring in and how do we uh, get everything, everything shot in time. It, you know, I think in a situation like that and every filmmakers been in that kind of situation it actually can in, enhance the creativity because you have to you know really think about it and then there's an energy with the actors and everybody we go we only have a few chances at this so we the hard thing was that we couldn't really get in there to do prep and to do location scouting we were able to come in for a few hours one day before mm -hmm. because the yard was in use and the prison was concerned about um, you know about their safety and how to how to make sure that uh, they could do this in a way that was manageable for them so we could only come in once before and we spent a lot of time imagining different ways to shoot things but at one point there's a big wide shot in episode four where Matt and Sweat are walking and sort of like a long slow zoom in on them in the yard and at one point we were trying to figure out how do we do this shot there's also the opening shot in the yard in the first episode where um, we follow one of the inmates and then we pull back to, to see the whole yard and that was that ended up being a big techno crane shot but for the longest time we didn't know if they would allow us to bring a techno crane into the prison so then we thought maybe we can do a drone but um, surprise surprise prisons don't like drones <laughs> um, for all sorts of reasons so we realized you know this would have to be a crane shot and then we had to figure out the logistics of it but it was all sort of imagining it with uh, you know, blueprints and, and, and sort of hand-drawn maps because we didn't have access. Yeah. And uh, we were really lucky, I think, because when we got in there, we, we, we did get good weather for both days and the actors knew their lines and were prepared. And we ended up actually shooting extra stuff. We were shooting all the time. I think we shot about, I think we shot like 13 hours worth of footage on one day because we had four or five cameras that we just were shooting all the time. Mm. So we're just shooting, you know, establishing shots and shooting. Uh, we, we couldn't also use real prisoners. They didn't want to have us use inmates. So we had to bring in 130 uh, actors who were not allowed to have any prison experience. <laughs> so because they didn't want to, um, they didn't want to have anybody who, who was a, a, an ex-inmate. So that was tough too because we used in all the other scenes anytime you saw an inmate it was somebody who had actually been in prison because we just wanted to have that authenticity so we had a field that was um, near the public library in Dannemora that we taped out the yard the actual yard and then we did rehearsals with the actors and and the and the extras of the scenes that we shot so we'd rehearse in this field and do run-throughs and then get when we got to the real place then we sort of you know you know, the only way I think you could probably do something like this is is with one director and and one cinematographer and not and, and block it, block shoot it instead of going episode to episode. And of course, that's how movies are done. Um, so it's not it's not unheard of. But 
When you're dealing with something that is, and I'm, I'm, this question is both uh, from an actor's perspective and a director's perspective, when the story is this long, you know, I think you probably went into thinking this is what, like an eight hour mm -hmm. thing, right? Is that kind of orientation, you know, it's one thing to have that kind of jump around in a, a two hour thing, but that kind of orientation inside an eight hour story, mm -hmm. you know, my understanding is you shot some of the most dramatic, each of the actresses and actors had like their most dramatic scene in the first day. But is, is that something both as a director that's kind of hard to like kind of jump around in and then also from an actor's perspective? Yeah, I mean, definitely it's um, challenging. I think it's much more challenging for the actors. Mm -hmm. Because they have to turn it on to their conclusion and... I mean, yeah. First of all, just acting is hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really appreciated that as a director on this project, just seeing what, what they were going through and how much they had to put out there. So it's hard anyway. Um, it's a weird thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and these were such good actors and they, they really had such a, an idea of how they wanted to approach it in a different way, each, each one of the actors. Um, I think that was the hardest thing for them was I tried to schedule it with Lisa um, in that a way and really Lisa was she's a genius at scheduling uh, to try to keep in order when we would go to a location so if we went to the prison uh, the cell block you go in chronological we tried to start with episode one and go all the way through episode mm -hmm. five when they and when they escape so um, that plan fell apart very quickly just due to do all sorts of you know turnarounds for actors and you know having to you know at one point uh, uh, Matt burns out a cell that's next to him so we had to you know then change the set and do a burned out cell and go back and forth and stuff like that so it ended up getting all jumbled around and also it was a lot a lot to shoot I mean that was a lot of stuff in that in that prison cell uh, so it. it it ended up being that you kind of figure it out as you go along. You have this sort of overall idea, and then you try to just, you know, in your head, have this because it, it's all it all doesn't exist yet. I mean, it's on the page, but it doesn't really exist yet. Mm -hmm. So, and one scene informs another. So we'd shoot a scene in a cell as those scenes would progress. You know, there's only so many ways that you can shoot in a small cell. Uh, I feel like we really, uh, Jessica and I, started to figure out things that I think in the beginning, I look at actually scenes we shot in the very beginning and then scenes we shot later, and I feel like we figured out so much stuff, so much other stuff later on that was, that felt more to me um, visceral and more like what we wanted it to be. We also wanted to have some sort of a progression as the show went along. And we wanted each episode to have its own sort of personality. Mm. So. All of that sort of theoretical stuff, and then when you get to the reality of it, and there's like an hour left, and you got to get the, you know the four-page scene shot. It's like all of that kind of goes out the window. You just like just put the camera here and let's go. Well, let's talk about the camera for a second because um, the thing that I thought was the most impressive and um, about the filmmaking in this was um, the camera had f the camera and the camera movement found stress, found tension because sometimes it one you know these situations just these details in the going through prison life um, can feel mundane and and yet it felt like so much of the tension was found in this kind of lurking camera uh, and maybe that's what you're talking about in terms of your collaboration with Jessica that you kind of found that it got better throughout but it, it um it really made these scenes like pop and make me feel like stressed a good portion of the time and when I rewatched it it was it was a lot of it was the movement 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it was a language that sort of developed as we were shooting and started to learn the space, like I was saying. You know, I mean, one of the things we did intentionally was we built the cell block. We were fortunate enough to be able to build, to recreate that cell mm-hmm. block. And one of the choices we made was their, their cell was on the third tier. There was a version where we could have had a, built their cell, just their cell uh, on the ground floor and shot a lot because there was so much stuff in just their cell. And when you get up to that third tier, there's just like one sort of walkway and it's very, very cramped. And we made the choice not to recreate the cell on the ground floor and to shoot everything up there, mm-hmm. which I think helped, um, it didn't help our psyches because <laughs> you realize just how claustrophobic it is. and. It gives you a limitation, almost. That, yeah, it that gave us a limitation. We didn't want to. We didn't want to actually build the cells so that it was easy to fly walls out. But we needed to be able to do that. And I really was aware of the fact there were so many scenes in these cells that I didn't want everything to feel the same. So I wanted to have the ability to shoot some scenes with wider lenses closer in, and just to be within the cell. But then there were a few scenes where we got on longer lenses and would pop the back wall out, and so you could still um, be close but be further away. And so that was um, a constant sort of experimentation that was happening, except for episode five, which we had this very specific idea that was sort of um, kicked could, off. Could you help me, or just or sorry? Five and five is which one? Episode five is the the day they escape. Got so that's got the one that starts with the the, the, the one shot yeah, where yeah. Um, Sweat does the dry run and goes mm. out, and because of that opening, which was based. That opening shot of him going from his cell all the way to the manhole was based on the GoPro footage that we found. That was sort of the kickoff for that episode where we felt, okay, let's let's have the tension of this day because it's the last. And, and I really thought of the show Twenty Four, which I love, mm-hmm. which always had that tension going on. Let's have this be um, almost as as many shots as we can. As many scenes as we can be in one shot, but and then as the episode progresses, it starts to get more and more uh, edited and 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 so and intercut. So that was the one episode where we were like, okay, let's see if we can do this in a one-er. And um, but but then felt like let's not be slaves to that. Uh, but really, it was just trying to find ways for each scene to get the feeling of the scene of what was going on. And I I, I realized that. When, it, when the camera was handheld, it had such a different feel, and this is sort of obvious, but you know, as, as a director, I was like, wow, it's, it became this choice, like, do we do this, you know, do we stay on the, on the dolly, or do we go handheld for this scene, and, or do we just do the scene all you know, super tight close-ups, or maybe we play the scene you know, in, in, like in a two-shot and, and let it play out. And it was kind of experimenting with it. And then we get back and, and when I look at it, I go, wow, that really felt, this to me felt more like, you know, visceral. And so that's why I was saying earlier, like some of the early the, the shots in, um, in the cell, cell block in the first episode are a lot more static. And those were some of the first scenes that we shot. But then as, as it progressed, um, I felt like we got more of a feel of like trying to get inside there and feel the claustrophobia with them. Uh, and. You know, also the actors are so interesting. Benicio has such an amazing face. Uh, I think of, uh, I think it's episode three where he's cutting through his cell wall. You know, just like just to have a close up of him and the intensity of what he's doing, and you see like how much work this took. That that could convey so much. Uh, a lot of the time, it was just really figuring out what's the scene about and what's going to tell that in the best way. Considering the dynamic between Matt and Sweat, 
I'm curious, and, uh, and Paul and Benicio are phenomenal, so maybe the answer is just you cast Benicio right. and Paul. But I'm curious, and, and maybe this also involves um, the Arquette role too, I'm not sure, but is it about finding the right person for each role, or is it about um, casting the duo or the trio in that sense of there's such a dynamic uh, that you play with between Sweat and Matt, right. you know, both of those two actors embody those characters. But is it also about the dynamic? Like you kind of need your your you're doing the couple right. when, when you when you're casting. I think it was for sure with Matt and Sweat, um, because they were so different, and that that all those scenes are just with the two of them. So it was about finding the right energy between those two guys. Uh, and it was an interesting progression. I think that really happened in the story in terms of who was sort of the dominant alpha in the beginning, and then how things changed when they finally got out. The outside, so it's so it's Venetio suddenly becomes this like lethargic drunk yeah, kind of yeah. heavy set guy versus like the dominant like alpha in the prison. <laughs> yeah, and and I think a, a lot of that is w what was happening. You know, from what we understood about what what happened in the story and. To Benicio's credit, we did have to start shooting sort of backwards. So the first, the very first stuff that we shot with Benicio was him basically hit the whole sequence where he, where he gets killed. So um, he had to play sort of the other end of Matt in the beginning, and uh, or even when they come out of the manhole, mm. he shot all of that stuff before he ever shot Matt in in. In, uh, kind of the boss in, of the prison. Yeah. yeah, so he had to trust that, you know. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it becomes about, first of all, finding, getting great actors uh, and someone being cast in, in the right part. I think that for, as an actor, when you're cast correctly, that's, it makes so much uh, difference because you're then, it doesn't mean you have to, it has to be something that people have seen you in before, it isn't necessarily something that's, you know, easy, but if there's an essence there, that the actor can get in touch with. Like Patricia, everybody watches her in this and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe that's Patricia. Uh, but there's an essence there in Patricia, I think, that is so, um, she has such a, uh, uh, an honesty about her as a person. I think the way she approaches this character is like she, she really, she was trying to find the heart and soul of, of Tilly and not trying to make her likable in any way, but just trying to make her human but also not worrying about anything else and not, not worrying about how she, how she came off or how she if she was attractive or not attractive. She really wanted to just find the essence of why this person uh, wanted to get out and, and what she wanted. And that, to me, you know, that, that was why she was the best person for the role. She, I mean, that role in particular, if you don't have someone that's taking that approach, it, it, it's, a, it's a role that could dangerously fall into character. Right, because there's and you'd have to find someone that has that because that I imagine is the most dangerous role in terms of what could have what could have happened to it. Yeah, she. I feel like she's an actor is never trying to prove anything. She's not trying to say, "Hey, look, I can do this." She's just literally trying to get to the heart of the character, and um, that's all she cares about, and find the honesty there. And then she has this amazing, uh, you know ability to just it's just all there and it comes through in her and she has this beauty within her uh, that we had to kind of 
I mean, I, you know, she wore contact lenses. She had some teeth that she put in, and she gained weight, and she changed her physical appearance. Um, but it was all sort of in in the service of trying to sort of disappear into this person, and then and just be that person. And I don't know. I mean, it's hard to quantify how somebody does that so well, but but she she did it. I read some stuff that Paul had said last night, um, and one sense that I get, even though you're you know you're rebuilding these things over in Queens and in Brooklyn, um, there's an intensity about being in this prison that was present on the set that that I mean I think informed the performance and he gives a, an amazing performance and I'm sure I, I'm sure the same applies to Benicio I just haven't heard him talk about this um, but that it was a real grind that that having that intensity and that feeling of being in prison that was present on set yeah well I mean I, I also think that they they took it upon themselves to make sure that they stayed in that you know I mean it you could you could go outside of the set and you could you know go to Starbucks across the street if you had half an hour, um, but I think they they all took it you know upon themselves to stay in that mindset to, to, for their process. And when we were in the cell block set, it was its own world. It, it definitely had in you know you walked in, it was four walls, a ceiling, everything was very real, uh, and it was filled with you know fifty or sixty guys all the time. Mm-hmm. And it did become like its own weird ecosystem mm-hmm. where some of the guys were using the toilets even though they didn't work and people were smoking pot on the set and all sorts of stuff were happening. Um, but I, I think that for me, I always felt so, you know, at the end of the day, you'd walk away from it and there'd be like that sense of relief. And you do, you do get the feeling, like, oh, if I didn't have the chance to ever walk away from this, that would be very, very oppressive. Um, I remember when Paul finished shooting on the cell block set, I took a picture of him. Uh, he, he was he, he had this like visible sort of relief and uh, he was so glad to get out of there because I think his in his cell I think he really felt what that was like to be in that world and, and spent a lot of time in there I had talked to him when he had uh, his wonderful film How I'm Blank Wildlife is Falling yeah. he had told me when we weren't recording that he, he had taken a break he took a break from acting for a little bit like he mm-hmm. needed a little bit of a breather after after this one um yeah, and I think he, I, I really think, you know, he did something that I hadn't seen him do before. Go through a pipe. Yeah, yeah, he really got into the pipe. <laughs> he spent a lot of time in that pipe, too. And that was a real pipe. It was a real... Uh, there's no way you can get me to do that. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, that, that was a joke. Were you about to say something? That no, I just did? was, I was really impressed with his performance um, because he just, I, I felt like he transformed into, into David Sweat in a way that we spent we spent some time with Sweat so and I think he took those few hours that he spent with him and he just figured out how to get the essence of this guy and um, and what for me what he what he gives you is this very very interesting layered character that does go through a, a, a journey from the beginning to the end and somehow you still feel for him uh, last one because I, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time here but um you obviously not only, you know, eight months of shooting, you, you, you lived with this footage for a while to, to, to get it down to seven episodes. Um, you know, what, 
I'm wondering, my understanding is it was eight and it got down to seven. Was there, was, was part of, was there a structuring here? Was there some kind of reinvention to some degree in, I mean, there's always a reinvention in, in post, but I mean, was right. there, what, what, was it just it fit better that way? No, it actually was from the beginning. Basically, I think the network had said, oh, we want to do eight episodes. And from the beginning, uh, Michael and Brett and I always had envisioned the last two, the last episode being one episode. Basically, we called it seven and eight. And we always looked at it as, um, as like its own little movie. And there was sort of a back and forth that happened with the network over a while, which was, well, we want eight episodes. <laughs> we, we want eight Sunday yeah. nights. Yeah. And, um, and we came to this agreement that we would do it at the last one as a double episode. Um, so we called it seven and eight, and then at one point we even just had to like create two scripts, just, you know, I don't know, for legal reasons. <laughs> but in, in my mind, it was always a movie. And um, and had to be kind of exist on, had to exist on its own that way. How all in was this about a year, two years for you? For I mean, me, it was two years. Yeah, full time, right? Like in ten. Yeah, months, it right? was two. It was two years from when we decided we were doing it to uh, and doing. That's when I went up to uh, the manhole for the first time was in June of 2016, and we'd already been working on it by that time. One, one last thing about yeah. the structuring. Um, it works, so I don't don't please, please don't take this as a criticism. But I'm wondering if you, because I imagine it was a discussion, the choice to do the flashbacks to see the backstories of these characters, and the choice to do them when you did them in the in the kind of you know scope of the series. What was kind of the thought behind that? Not even just to do them, but to kind of also kind of show us this a little bit later. Well, early on, we knew that we had to at some point show the crimes that had been committed because otherwise with any sort of prison story you you identify with the protagonists who are trying to get out and since this was a true story we felt a responsibility that we had to show that these guys were criminals convicted murderers and uh, we felt in the storytelling it would be most interesting to let the audience form an allegiance with them and hopefully not cheat in any way, just show them as real people. And then when they're not expecting it, show them what they did just to let them know that this is who they are. And including Tilly too and her, her backstory too. It is a little bit of a surprise because we got used to, we really like these two and we get, yeah, we get a little used to it. And then it does, it is a little bit put you back when it, when it happens. Right, and that, yeah, I mean, that was the, the, the intention. It, you know, it's really tough because I think it's very subjective. You know, you can watch something like this and go like, well, they made me like them, or I, I wasn't ever trying to make you like them. I just wanted to, I wanted you to find them interesting enough to follow their story. Um, but the, the experience that I had uh, talking to them, uh, or talking to David Sweat, and then talking to some other people in prison who you, you meet who have, you know this past you don't you're talking to them like a person and David Sweat was really congenial and he and I, I appreciate the fact that he gave me a lot of information and um, you know and expressed a lot of remorse for what he did uh, but the reality is when you when you spend time with these people or if you're in prison for 10 years you're not spending time with the, the person uh, while they're in the act of committing a violent crime so it is easy to sort of bond with them in a way and I, and I felt the audience you know it, it's the same thing you could 
you know, these guys are in the honor block. They're, they get special treatment because they are on good behavior in the prison. It doesn't matter if you rape somebody, or if, and this has changed now since the escape, but it, you could have been a murderer, you could have done the worst things, but if you were on good behavior in the prison, you get special privileges. And that's the dissociation that I think people have. It's like you do something and it goes into the past, but it affects other people for the rest of their lives. So we felt the responsibility to have to do it to show that. And then we were just thinking, well, what's the most impactful way to do that in the storytelling when you're really not expecting it? And it seemed like the moment when they break out, when they get free, when you're expecting to now go into you know, the, the chase uh, would be a moment to do that. Ben, are you, you got anything uh, you, know, you want to do next from a directing standpoint? I've got a couple of things that I'm trying to figure out. But it you know, takes time sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for your time. Congratulations on the series. And um, I did not ask you about Zoolander 3. All right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs>